Vicky Cristina Barcelona is the 38th film written and directed by Woody Allen, first released in 2008. Rebecca Hall stars as Vicky, and Scarlett Johansson stars as Cristina, two friends who have decided to spend the summer in Barcelona. The two friends have very different views on love, and their lives take very different paths when they encounter Juan Antonio, played by Javier Bardem, and his ex-wife Maria Elena, played by Penelope Cruz. Woody Allen's London period became a European period with Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and unlike his London films, which were rewritten from American settings. Spain is a deep part of this film, a mix of romance and morality. It is rightly considered one of the highlights of his later career. Welcome to the Woody Allen Pages podcast by me, the creator of the Woody Allen Pages website. This week, episode eleven, we look at 2008's Vicky Cristina Barcelona, how it was conceived, how it was made, and how it was so unlike any other Woody Allen film. Spoilers are everywhere, so watch the film first, then come back. Why not? Life is short, life is dull, life is full of pain, and this is a chance for something special. Right. Well, who exactly are you? From the beginning, Alan enjoyed huge success internationally, far outshining whatever success he had in America. And when, in the late 2000s, Alan started to be open to shooting abroad, the offers came from all corners. Italy, Brazil, France, Sweden, and more came with offers for Alan to make a film in their country. The problem would be to find the story. So far, by 2008, Alan had made three films in London, and all three were New York ideas rewritten for London. But when the financing came together for Spain, Alan set about crafting a film that reflected how he saw that country. Barcelona is so different from New York or London. Those last two cities are urban and metropolitan, with skyscrapers, busy streets, and people everywhere. So Alan tried to write about a different feel. This is a film about dirt paths and bicycles, no skyscrapers in sight. Another change was how Alan approached the script. Alan usually never writes for actors. Even during the periods where he worked with Diane Keaton or Mia Farrow consistently, he was open for them to take any of the female roles in his script. But this time, he had Scarlett Johansson wanting to work together again, and he also got calls out of the blue from Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. Neither of those last two Spanish actors knew Alan, but Alan was a fan, so he went about writing a story for these actors. Alan did have the idea of a summer trip movie with two young women. So he settled on that trip being to Barcelona. He wrote one of the travelers as a role for Johansson, and the locals that complicated their trip would be played by Cruz and Bardem. With two leads, he could attack what he wanted to talk about from two angles, but also cut from story to story to give the film some pace. Importantly, Alan used what he loved about Barcelona and Spain in the script. To、uh, your summer in Barcelona.、No. Welcome. Salud. Spain does love Alan, and Alan loves Spain. There is a statue of Woody Allen in Oviedo, where part of Vicky Cristina Barcelona was set. People think it was put there to mark the time he visited that city, but it actually went up in 2005. And in 2002, Alan was awarded the Prince of Asturias Award for notable achievements in science, humanities, and public affairs. It's a huge honor and a huge ceremony in Spain, like their own Nobel Prize. It's such an honor that Alan even turned up to the ceremony and made a speech, something he almost never does. In his speech, he quoted comedian Jack Benny and talked about how much European films and culture meant to him.、Um, a, a great American comedian of the past, Jack Benny, 
um, had, I think, the very best line for such a stupendous occasion as this, um, when he won a very prestigious award, he said, I don't deserve this award, but I have diabetes and I don't deserve that either. The story that Alan ended up with was about Vicky, played by Rebecca Hall, and Christina, played by Scarlett Johansson. Two women who go on very different journeys. Christina is the romantic. She wants the wildlife. She is open to the adventure in front of her, and that adventure is represented by Juan Antonio. Vicky is settled, engaged, and she knows her path. She knows what her life is going to be when she returns, and her life is disturbed by Juan Antonio. It's probably unfair to say that the inciting incident for both Vicky and Christina is just a guy named Juan Antonio. It's probably more Spain itself. They go through all this because they left their comfort zone. When Juan Antonio proposes the trip to both of them, their reactions could not be more different. Vicky is immediately defensive, and just at the edge of being too defensive. If there is anything close to a Woody Allen surrogate in this film, it's Vicky. She is cynical and untrusting of this bohemian life in front of her. There's times where the dialogue does have a sense of that traditional Woody Allen-ness. What offended you about the offer? Surely not that I find you both beautiful and desirable. Offended me? No. It's, it's very amusing, galling, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> is it my imagination or is it getting a little late? Should we go? to go to Oviedo. So Vicky and Christina are opposites. Alan plays them as such. A lot of this film is about body language, and for Vicky and Christina, their body language tells us a huge amount. At the end of their first day with Juan Antonio, there's a lovely scene where Vicky and Christina are on the same sofa, and Vicky's arms are crossed and on guard, while Christina is reclined and open to what happens next. Vicky spends actually quite a lot of the film with her arms crossed. Things change for Vicky when she is forced by circumstance to live the part of Christina's fantasy. We think we know what will happen. Christina and Juan Antonio will come together and other complications will ensue. Instead, Christina gets sick and it's Vicky who ends up having the romantic weekend with a charming artist. She ends up having the conversations about poetry and art and passion that Christina probably would have wanted and would have swooned over. And it ends up stirring something inside her. So, uh... Tell me, why, why won't your father publish his poems? Well, because oh, he hates the world. And that's his way of getting back at them, to create beautiful works and then to deny them to the public, which I think it's... Oh my God. Hmm. Well, what makes him so angry toward the human race? Because after thousands of years of civilization, they still haven't learned to love. Her fiancé, Doug, represents her sensible future, and Alan never turns him into a straw man. With just a small tweak, Alan could have made Doug a bit of a loser, but he doesn't, and it doesn't give Vicky any excuses to be unfaithful. Doug is absolutely a decent guy, and he is nothing but loving towards her. He's a bit boring, and he's not an artist, but he's a good guy. The other side is Judy, played by Patricia Clarkson, who is housing the girls. She is having an affair, but her passionate life is full of trouble. She's living a double life, full of regret, married to a man she doesn't love anymore. But her life is dishonest. I'm sure any... Any dissatisfaction I have is my own problem. I'm just, uh, I, I, I 
can't leave him, and I know that I never will. Why not? I just, I can't. I'm too scared. And the, mo the moment's passed. The path in front of Vicky is not really about love. I don't think Vicky falls in love with Juan Antonio, nor do I think that we, the audience, are supposed to feel like Vicky and Juan Antonio are meant for each other. Juan Antonio says as much at one point that within a month they would be at each other's throats, and she has her head turned by Ben, a charming, cultured American guy who shares her love of Spanish culture. The problem for Vicky is all internal that there is a passion in her that is not fulfilled. And taken out of her comfort zone and in Barcelona, it becomes more clear. It's a subtle bit of character work, but Doug even mentions that Vicky makes love differently in Barcelona. Throughout Vicky's story, there is talk of missing the moment or how quickly time passes and your chance gets away. Vicky's story ends when she sees Juan Antonio again and is involved in a small gunfight. And she sees for sure that this artist's life of passion is not for her, but she still ends up longing for something. I think the film really belongs to Vicky. She's the one taken most out of her comfort zone and she learns the most. And her fate might be Judy's, that she will be married, settled and unhappy, quietly longing for a passionate love that she won't have. Where Vicky learns that her nightmare might actually have something in it for her, Christina gets her wish and it doesn't quite work out either. Christina believes that suffering is a part of romance and she gets to see that up close. There's a nice subtle character moment in the early gallery scene where Christina sees Juan Antonio for the first time. She's looking at the art but she's asking about the artist rather than the work. She's more curious about the passionate people behind the works and then Alan focuses in on her face when she overhears the story of Juan Antonio's messy divorce showing her to be excited. He's a painter. Remember Diego told us about him? He had that fiery relationship with that beautiful woman who was nuts. Oh my God. The violent fighting. Oh, and, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, the, yes. The messy divorce oh was in God. all the newspaper. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, my God. Um, his name is uh, Juan Antonio Gonzalo, and he uh, he had this hot divorce, and she tried to kill him, or he tried to kill her. What? I, it was this, like, really big thing in the art world. I can't remember the details, but he... Christina is a frustrated artist, a type of character that Alan has written about before. See Renata in Interiors or Melinda in Melinda and Melinda. Alan returns to this idea of artistic frustration and that artistic frustration can lead to existential angst. So she gets the next best thing, an artist as a boyfriend and his arty friends. She falls in love with her lifestyle with Juan Antonio. In voiceover, we are told that she imagines her life here and starts to forget her American life. She was already thinking of herself as a kind of expatriate, not smothered by what she believed to be America's puritanical and materialistic culture, which she had little patience for. She saw herself more a European soul, in tune with the thinkers and artists she felt expressed her tragic, romantic, free-thinking view of life. But that is shattered by Marina Elena. Just her presence brings Christina back down to earth. She speaks a different language and makes Christina feel like an outsider again. Maria Elena is a true artist. Christina made a short film she's not happy with. I feel kind of sad. Why? Because I feel like I'm never going to be able to, um, to influence you or inspire you in any way. No, no, that's not true. That's how I feel. That's not true. 
But Maria Elena and Christina don't end up in conflict. You would think that she's an agent of chaos like Maureen Stapleton in Interiors, but she actually becomes Christina's ally and lover. I really love Alan's depiction of artists in this film. In a way, it's comical. Alan depicts them as these other kinds of people who drink a lot and discuss deep ideas like Juan Antonio's friends. But they also talk about art as important and a thing to be nurtured. Juan Antonio and Maria Elena who are artists, knows the value of nurturing talent and nurturing confidence in Christina. I don't know who mentored Woody Allen, but this is a lovely depiction of artistic mentoring. In the end though, Christina has to leave. She doesn't really give a reason and neither does Allen. She seems to have exactly what she wanted, but a familiar unhappiness drives her away. Maria Elena accuses her of being chronically unhappy. Perhaps that's the case, and Alan is trying to say something about a type of romantic person who can never just be happy and it becomes toxic. There is no answer, Cristina. There is Antonio, que no lo entiendes, que ya ha conseguido lo que quería, quiere otra cosa, que esto ya no le basta, que es como una enfermedad, que no, que nunca le va a bastar con nada. Don't get so upset, please. And can you speak English? I can't understand you. Nunca se va a conformar con nada esta niña. Bueno, Elena, habla inglés para que te pueda entender. Sabía que nos la ibas a jugar, sabía que nos la ibas a jugar y nos la has jugado. No lo sabía. ¿Cómo lo sabía? ¿Cómo lo sabía? Ya, Marilena, speak English, please, so she can understand it, all right? I think there's a case of Christina still feeling like she doesn't fit, or perhaps she's just not as free-spirited as she thinks. What haunts Christina in the end of the film is that she doesn't really know why it didn't work out, and that maybe her dream when she came to Barcelona in the summer to have this romance and free-spirited life isn't hers either. And if that isn't who she is then who is she? For both women, they end on a note of ambiguity. They live their own fantasies of what they thought love would be, and they both leave Barcelona unsure. It's a great ambiguous ending. It's a romance where neither women get the man. The only happiness is that maybe both women have set a more honest standard of what happiness is for them, and we hope they find it. And that's not much of a happy ending. I find it so interesting that Christina and Vicky don't come into conflict. A lesser film would make this some sort of love triangle, one of those typical rivalries where women have to fight over a man. Instead, the two friends are thoughtful and supportive. I love how Vicky goes to comfort Christina when her life with Juan Antonio and Maria Elena comes to an end. And I love how Christina, who is more open-hearted and sensitive, finds a spot to look out at the water when she needs to find closure. Christina also says that she would have stepped away if Vicky told her how she felt. But I would have stepped aside. No, no, look, I, I knew you had feelings for Juan Antonio from the moment you saw him. But if I knew what had happened, I never would have gone ahead with it. Oh, look, it was, it was a passing thing. In fact, there's no judgement across the board. Juan Antonio comes in strong, but he becomes this complex character that we like a lot throughout the film. Alan doesn't make him ridiculous or selfish. He's just honest, confident and passionate. He's always caring for people. And even the Christina slash Maria Elena relationship is ultimately one of love and affection, not rivalry. This is a film built on small moments. The drama that befalls our heroines are an accidental touching of a foot at a meal or a stubborn bit of back pain. Those are the moments that we connect with more than the incidental shooting of a gun towards the end of the film. It also makes that final gun scene feel like it lives in a different film from a tone point of view. It's the least convincing scene in the film. 
it crosses into melodrama like it's a soap opera. It's also not a very funny film. There is really only two bits that elicit any sort of chuckle for me. One is the countryside picnic when it's revealed that Maria Elena went through Christina's bags, especially because it comes after such an intimate moment. How do you know I take pictures? I found them in your luggage. You went through my luggage? Of course I went through your luggage. First night I was in the house, I didn't trust you. I didn't believe you were who you said you were. I wanted to know who was really sharing the bed of my ex-husband. What? The other is when Doug finds out about Christina's new bohemian lifestyle. Neither a big laughs at all, just a bit of culture clash comedy, not even a witty one-liner. As if to make the point, there is a moment at a dinner with their New York friends where Doug goes to tell a joke. I'm sure in the take, the actor, Chris Messina, actually tells a joke. But Alan fades him out for music and we focus on Vicky instead. Alan throws away a very easy opportunity to give the audience a simple smile for something deeper and better. We did it uh, modern with just a splash of antiques here and there. I love combining the two, but God, the prices. Do you have any idea what a good size oriental rug costs? She's right. She's right. Actually, there's an old joke. A hundred thousand for a Persian rug? This is probably Alan's least funny romantic film. It's also probably his most passionate when it comes to sex. It's almost all in Christina's side of the story, but there are several scenes of simulated lovemaking, and Alan shoots them with warmth. He's shot sex scenes before. There was a deliberately awkward one in Hannah and Her Sisters that was ultimately cut. There was also an awkward one in Husbands and Wives. Usually Alan cuts away and you just see what happens after, like in Annie Hall or Irrational Man. But the scenes here work with the script. Christina's artistic awakening is also a sexual one. So there's no quick-fire dialogue, no droll one-liners, no busy city, lots of sex, lots of Spanish dialogue, and it doesn't sound like a Woody Allen film at all. What is very Alan-y, especially in this period, is the voiceover. It's something that Alan has employed a little before, famously in Radio Days or Everyone Says I Love You. Here the voiceover is both good and bad. It's bad in that it tells so much of the story. It fills in the gaps left by the filmmaking. Sure, it works better at the start when the narrator tells us about Vicky and Christina and how they love, but it's not as good as a scene where they show it. But it is good when it adds intimacy, like when we look at Vicky's face as she listens to music and it's like hearing a voice in her head. On balmy summer nights, the girls would sometimes go to hear Spanish guitar music, which never failed to move Vicky in some magical way. So what is Alan trying to say in this film? He's returning to an old theme of his, which is love is often not what you expect. Vicky thinks she has it all figured out. Christina thinks that love is just passion. Both learn that they're wrong. And for both, the real lesson is somewhere between love is more complicated than you think or love is unknowable altogether. But what Alan is tapping into is that holiday feeling when you're not yourself. When you're open to new things and you fantasise about a new life. I'm sure everyone goes to Barcelona and spends a moment wondering what it's actually like to live there. For Alan, even that little fantasy has no easy answers. The trick is to enjoy life, accepting it has no meaning whatsoever. No meaning? You don't think that authentic love gives life meaning? Yes, but love is so transient, isn't it? I was in love with the most incredible woman. And then in the end, <laughs> yes, she put a knife into me. My God, that's terrible. Well, maybe you did something to deserve it. Vicky Cristina Barcelona was filmed in Spain. 
mainly in Barcelona and Oviedo, as well as a couple of small scenes in New York. It was Alan's first time shooting in Spain, although he would return for Rifkin's festival almost a decade later. I find it interesting that Alan didn't just make a film in English, but in Spain. He would go on to make Midnight in Paris and Rifkin's festival, which would be just that. But here, he isn't frightened to have long sections in Spanish. Alan grew up loving European directors, and he said with this film, he finally got to be one. The production went incredibly smoothly, even by Alan's standards at this time. We don't know of any big reshoots or rewrites or any deleted scenes. No one hired got their scenes cut or got recast. This all seems to have gone pretty smoothly, and as is usual when Alan shoots abroad, he brought his entire family with him. His two kids even make a cameo in the film. It sounds like everyone had a great time. I don't know how much acting had to happen to make the cast look like they're having fun in the amusement park scene, and it helps when he has such a nay-gray cast. Alan is always seen as an outlier in America with his low-budget dramas and his film-a-year schedule, but that's the way it's done outside of America where budgets are modest and cinemas still need to be filled, and Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem know how to make films like this. So they just turn up and they own the scenes they're in. No months of rehearsing, no sitting on a script for two years. Take Penelope Cruz, who won the Academy Award for her performance. She has barely half an hour in the film, but she comes in like a hurricane and then plays a maternal figure and a loving partner. You can see in the scene just after she arrives that she plays the character as angry, then cooling down and being suspicious, yet smart and assessing everything. She's later utterly charming. I'm not sure if she's supposed to look like a mess when she's at her lowest, but she still just looks like the gorgeous Penelope Cruz. If only we all looked that good after a suicide attempt at a bus station. So in his head, he has so much tension. You know, to the world, he's carefree, nothing matters, life is short and with no purpose kind of thing, but all his fear just goes to his head. Javier Bardem is so great as Juan Antonio. He's overwhelmingly passionate. He's always leaning on things. When he's at the church early in the film, looking at a statue, talking about the transience of love, he is lightly stroking the walls. The way he hugs his father is so intimate. His character is tactile and full of passion and he plays it so well without showing off. He's turned in No Country for Old Men, where he plays one of the coldest and most dispassionate characters in all of cinema, was just a year earlier. Alan likes to let his actors improvise, but Alan didn't actually have any idea what Bardem and Cruz were arguing about when they spoke Spanish. But you don't really have to. The scene where they spill out onto the street arguing is utterly compelling. Meanwhile, as predicted, without Cristina, the relationship between Juan Antonio and Maria Elena had gone back to its old destructiveness. <laughs> Also coming from Spanish filmmaking was Javier Aguirre-Sarobe, the cinematographer. He had worked on Pedro Almodovar's Talk to Her and the wonderful The Sea Inside, which also starred Javier Bardem. Sonia Grande, the costume designer, had also worked on both films. Alain Benet was the Spanish production designer. Alan would work with all three again. Alan not only shot in Spain, he basically shot the film as if he was part of the Spanish film industry. Although longtime editor Alyssa Lepselta was there when Alan took all the footage back to New York and Juliet Taylor led the casting of the leads in the US with the Spanish team taking this casting of the smaller roles and extras. Alan isn't shy about showing some of Barcelona's wonderful landmarks on screen. Over the course of the film, we see plenty of places that would be on any list of things to do in Barcelona on holiday. We see lots of the works of the brilliant architect Antonio Gaudi, his great un 
Finnish church La Sagrada Familia, the rooftop of Casa Mila, and the statues across Parkwell, and those works are still so joyous and brave. There's also statues by Juan Miro, but Alan puts all that stuff at the front of the film, like the way you do when you're on holidays and you get most of the sightseeing stuff out of the way. The film then relaxes into candlelit restaurants and outside dining, and then just gorgeous shots of the sea. It helps the cinematographer Agura Sorobe has washed the film in yellow and oranges. The film never feels cold or dark, even at night. The camera doesn't move around too much or make itself too obvious. Alan's preference for long takes and not breaking up scenes really helps this film feel slow and relaxed. It doesn't feel energetic. In particular, I love the shot in the countryside when Juan Antonio gets his back pain and Christina goes and gets painkillers. The camera follows Christina to the bikes and never cuts. She comes back and Maria Elena is in her place. It doesn't build tension, it's just this slow shot that makes us feel like we're there. The impact comes from Christina seeing this woman suddenly when we thought we knew where the shot was going. There's lots of really great directing and storytelling. Take the simple scene in Juan Antonio's home where we see a pot of boiling water then we pan out to see him and Christina locked in passion on the floor. We know what was happening and we know how they got there. It's great storytelling and the opposite of the sometimes hammy voiceover. There is also a lot of storytelling in just the body language, as I mentioned. It's all these small things that make this film so great. The rest of the American cast are solid. Chris Messina plays Doug well without making him seem like a loser. Patricia Clarkson is great in everything and Alan loved working with her. They would work together again in Alan's next film, Whatever Works. When it comes to music, Alan embraced the European setting. There are moments when Vicky goes and watches flamenco guitar music, so it's no surprise that the soundtrack features a lot of flamenco guitar music. Of the performers, there's a mix of famous Spanish guitar legends like Juan Serrano and Paco de Lucia. And then there were newcomers like Biel Ballister and Safane Remble. Remble in particular would work with Alan again in Midnight in Paris and then also Rifkin's Festival. Emilio de Benito appears in the film as a flamenco guitar player. His performance of Granada is used as Vicky's love theme. The opening credit song in Vicky Cristina Barcelona is called Barcelona and it's by independent band Julia y los Tellerini. The girlfriend of one of the band members somehow managed to leave a CD in Alan's hotel room. In another move and another thing that Alan never does, he took the CD put on a track and liked it. And soon the production team was trying to contact the band through MySpace. Remember MySpace? Well, MySpace might be gone, but this track still sounds pretty good. And I really don't encourage people to leave stuff in Woody Allen's hotel rooms, but this time it actually worked out. Here's Julia Ilas Tellerini with Barcelona. Tanto buscarse sin encontrarse Me encierran los muros de todas partes Barcelona, te estás equivocando No puedes seguir inventando Que el mundo sea otra cosa Y volar como mariposa Barcelona Vicky Cristina Barcelona was premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on the 17th of May 2008 and rolled out around the world from August onwards. The production studio was the Spanish company MediaPro. They would work with Alan many more times, including most of Alan's European films in the next decade and a half. Penelope Cruz was particularly praised for her role as Maria Elena, although she's actually on screen for very little. She won an Academy Award, a BAFTA, a Gaudi, and much more. The film also won for Best Film, Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes, whatever that means. Thank you so much to the Academy 
I want to share this with my fellow nominees and with the amazing ensemble of actors that I had the privilege to work with in this movie. Thank you, Woody, for trusting me with this beautiful character. Thank you for having written over all these years some of the greatest characters for women. Cruz gets all the praise, but Rebecca Hall is not even on the poster. Vicky is probably the major character, but the poster only features Johansson, Cruz and Bardem all cropped together. It seems incredibly unfair for Hall. Still, the film was a commercial success with or without Rebecca Hall on the poster. Not adjusted for inflation, it was Alan's most successful film ever at the time of release, just shy of 100 million at the box office. It beat the very successful Match Point, but I think Match Point's success is one of the reasons why this film did so well. Scoop in 2006 came out in the shadow of Match Point, and Cassandra's dream was also buried and not marketed. For most people, Vicky Cristina Barcelona was the follow-up to Match Point. That success would be overshadowed by Midnight in Paris just a few years later. But this was part of the incredibly successful European period for Alan. His films were getting critical acclaim and the actors were winning awards. It also helps that at the time the film industry was being divided in two. On one end was the increase in big budget blockbusters. On the other was the specialty box office that lived on film festivals and reviews. In that specialty film world, far away from films like The Dark Knight, Alan was being reassessed as a legend. This film just feels so different from anything else Woody Allen has ever done. It's so rural and laid back, and it makes Allen's old themes seem fresh. I don't know if Allen's ever made a film this purely romantic before. It's not a comedy, it's just not funny, but it's also not one of his high-minded life, death and God dramas. This is a romance, and it's not necessarily even a happy one. Perhaps the closest in tone is 1999's Sweet and Lowdown. But just because there wasn't a murder doesn't mean there wasn't big themes. Alan wants to talk about art and love. In other films, even other Alan films, the talk about Juan Antonio's father being a poet so tortured that he doesn't publish could come across as silly. Here, it's not. This is a world of artists. Everyone seems to know at least one person who owns an art gallery, but somehow it works. And let's face it, whenever I watch this film, I immediately think I have to get to Spain, where I can just eat outside, listen to Spanish guitar, ride my bike and meet beautiful strangers. This really is a wonderful film and I wish Alan would make more like it. He's the master of complex emotions and writing characters lost in the messiness of love. At its best, it's right up there with the romantic matters of the heart that Alan created and looked at in Hannah and Her Sisters and Annie Hall. It's ambiguous and pretentious in places, but I wouldn't want Alan to change a frame. That's what this film is about. It's rightly considered Alan's best work in recent years. It's certainly considered that by me. So, what happened? one goddamn weekend in Oviedo. Here's some fun facts about Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Appearing as a guest in the early art gallery scene is Juan Pera. Pera spent decades being the Spanish voice dub for Alan in Spain, doing every Woody Allen on-screen role from 1998's New York Stories until the present day, including Alan's screen roles that came after Vicky Cristina Barcelona, like narrating Café Society and dubbing in for Crisis in Six Scenes. He is also the Spanish voice of Rowan Atkinson. He's an actor too and starred in the Spanish version of Cheers. In terms of Spanish film, Alan would single out Spanish director Pedro Amaldivar for praise in his Prince of Asturias speech. Alan is a huge fan of Amaldivar and appeared in a 2001 documentary about him. Amaldivar, like Alan, likes to work with the same actors and Alan no doubt took casting cues from Amaldivar's work. Javier Bardem, Antonio Banderas and Elena Anaya would all work with Alan. 
Moldova worked with Penelope Cruz six times. In fact, Cruz was working with Moldova on Broken Promises at the same time as working with Woody Allen on Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and the poor woman was passing messages between the two directors. Just get a room already, Pedro and Woody. And speaking of getting a room, Bardem and Cruz had crossed paths before, but they fell in love during the course of production of this film. They married a couple of years later and had two kids. for listening to this episode of the Woody Allen Pages podcast. Let me know what you think of Vicky Cristina Barcelona. If you think the film is as good as I do, I can be contacted at woodyallenpages at gmail.com. We have a Patreon. It helps us make more episodes and helps support us running our website. You can find out more about what you can get and sign up with the link in the description. You can also support us by buying a book called The Woody Allen Pages Film Guides. There's three volumes of it and it covers every single Woody Allen film from how they were conceived to how they were produced and much more. They include minute-by-minute breakdowns of every location, every song cue, every reference and more. For Vicky Cristina Barcelona in particular, if you're planning on going to Barcelona, it'll tell you all the places used in the film. You can also buy some of the artwork that we use for our podcast. You can follow the link in Redbubble to buy a poster or a tote bag or a t-shirt, which I know some of you have. Thanks to everyone who's actually bought something from us in the last few weeks. We really love the support. Check out our website for all the latest Woody Allen news. You can find out so much more about Woody Allen there at woodyallenpages.com. I'm on social media pretty much everywhere at Woody Allen Pages. Follow us on there to find out what our next film would be. Speaking of which, next week, we look at the Woody Allen film that he simply cut in half. Thanks for listening. I don't know what I want. I only know what I don't want. If you don't start undressing me soon, this is going to turn into a panel discussion.